0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shadow Talk, um, cyber threat intelligence and information security weekly podcast brought to you by the Reliquest threat research team. Um, My name is Stefano, and I will be your host for today. And I'm in good company because Ivan and Corey are here with me. Hi, guys, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well,
2: Stefano, thanks for asking, sir. Hi, Stefano, doing great as well. Hope you're having a good week.
0: Yes, yes, having a really great week. I am a little bit intimidated by the transcript going on in my screen here. So every mispronunciation of mine will be just like put in my face. So I'm just going to close this thing um, because that's unbearable for me. Um, But yeah, I've had a good week. I hope the same for you two guys. Um, I've got like a long weekend, long Easter weekend waiting for me too. So not bad at all. Nothing to complain here. Um, today we're going to talk about quite a few topics, and they are pretty important too, so it's going to be a really interesting episode in my opinion. The first thing that we're going to discuss is the recent Genesis market seizure by law enforcement. That's definitely going to have like a pretty significant impact on the cyber threat landscape. Then we'll talk about the Vulcan files, exposing some um some good links, some interesting links between the Russian intelligence uh, sector and the private sector. And finally, uh, we'll have a section on the new Microsoft strategy to sort of mitigate the number of one OneNote malicious attachments operations that we're seeing in the wild lately. So without further ado, I'd say let's get started with the first story of today um and that's the genesis market seizure so on wednesday uh, the fbi announced the takedown uh, of the genesis market um with an operation dubbed cookie monster which is a pretty fun uh, operation name in my opinion um, along with the FBI, collaborated a lot of like national agencies such as the United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, Germany, and so on and so forth. For those of you who don't know it, Genesis Market was, at this point, a really prominent uh, cyber criminal marketplace that was active since 2017. uh, acted as an invitation-only uh, marketplace, so quite exclusive, although very popular, uh, that sold uh, stolen credentials, cookies, and digital browser fingerprints, its most general term, to allow cybercriminals to gain access to sensitive uh, accounts, such as banking accounts, or even a little bit less sensitive accounts, such as like streaming services, and so on and so forth. So, it was one of the main marketplaces uh, in the in the um, in the cyber threat landscape for sure. So, my first question for you guys is, you know. How important is this takedown for the cyber uh, threat landscape? What do you think is going to change after this? Uh,
2: I would say that it is probably a very important takedown. We can think of Genesis as one of the main competitors of Russian market. They are an automatic vending card and they sell a lot of uh, stolen data from victims. So like uh, like you mentioned, they steal data from victims' browsers. They, they call it digital fingerprints, and then they sell that on. and uh, it was very popular threat actors were using this to buy credentials which they can then use to conduct initial access and further attacks on victims uh but yeah <clears throat> very notable takedown and uh i would even say it's probably more important than the takedown of the hive ransomware that happened uh, a little bit earlier in january because this is a very big marketplace that a lot of cyber criminals went to to uh, gain those credentials which could be used for further attacks so you mentioned the fact that uh, Genesis Market is,
0: was probably the main competitor to Russian market for that kind of uh, ABC um, section of the cyber criminal forums and marketplaces. Do you expect now a lot of cyber criminals moving to Russian market as a result of this seizure here?
2: Yeah, I think I mean the Russian market has already been a very popular criminal forum our marketplace. So it we will definitely likely see an increased traffic on there. Uh that being said, that being said, you know, the offering in Genesis is slightly different than Russian market. Uh Russian market's a little more direct. You can just buy malware logs and those type of informations. And uh, I mean criminals will always find another another place either they will leak data in criminal forums they will go to the russian market or maybe they're going to create their own forum that satisfy whatever needs they have
0: yeah that sounds good the cyber crime finds a way anthem is always quite popular in this kind of environment um, so you mentioned the high takedown, we're talking about the Genesee seizure. Uh, two weeks ago we were talking right here on the podcast about the FBI arrest of Pompom Perrine, uh who was the founder and owner of Bridge Forums, uh, probably at the time the most popular English language uh, cyber criminal forum uh, active. Um, so we're seeing quite a good string of important takedowns in this sphere in the past few months. Uh, do you think these sort of good signs will continue throughout 2023? And what do you think is going to be the impact on what we observe on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, I can answer this one. So I would say this is both very important as well as a good sign for 2023. Although, yes, like threat actors, they're going to you know find another pivot point, another marketplace to have discussions on the good thing about as we take these down is that's a lot that's a huge repository of information that just kind of disappears overnight so the more difficult it becomes for threat actors to kind of profit off of theft in may i'm hoping the more likely they are to pivot into something else now hopefully that something else is going to be a little bit more positive for the community maybe like bug bounties instead of being something else that's going to be detrimental but well i guess we we'll just have to see
0: Definitely. Uh, The wait and see part here is is the the trickiest one for us and for them, because like when these sort of takedowns happen, like maybe like for forums especially, because like as you were saying, Corey, like they maintain, they have like a huge amount of important data. Uh, that of course they use for malicious intents but also for researchers is really good because you have this massive data set when you observe threat actors and their ttps and their victimology so it's quite interesting balance uh, to have there Uh, but i'm sure law enforcement after the seizure has collected all the relevant data for further actions uh, in the future so i'd say let's move on to the second uh, section of today's episode when we're going to talk about uh, the vulcan files so in the in the past few days um like very high profile journalists started to report on these sort of documents confidential documents that have been attributed to the a russian contractor called vulcan hence the name of the files and these files have exposed like the sort of links between Russian military and intelligence agencies uh, to conduct cyber warfare such as disinformation campaigns, um, um, espionage operations, critical infrastructure disruptions, and so on and so forth. And they expose the links that these public like national and military agencies have with the private sector. Um, so these documents were collected at the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine war. Now they've been studying for quite some time and they've been fed to the public. Um, so Ivan, can you tell us more about the contents of these documents and what they highlight?
2: Sure, uh, the documents, uh, like you said, they were leaked from a NIT consulting firm in Moscow uh, named NTC Vulcan. It, you can think of it, it's similar to the Snowden's leak in 2013. Uh, there were thousands of pages of confidential documents that revealed that Russian intelligence agencies, they were using private companies to plan and uh, to execute global hacking operations. Uh, In particular, it was revealed that Vulcan, uh, the company that you mentioned, it worked with Russian intelligence agencies to develop tools that could be used by nation-state threat actors. Uh, And then these tools were used to conduct cyber attacks uh, also filter internet traffic and uh, to spread propaganda and uh, misinformation.
0: So did we see like any prominent Russian APTs in these documents mention Something that we've already discussed in the past, for example.
2: Uh, yeah, the documents leaked. They revealed that Vulcan, they worked with uh, two APTs from Russia. The These were the APT 29 which most is commonly known as Cozy Bear, And then there was also the Sandworm team. Uh, and then this was the first time that it was confirmed that these APTs, they were using tools developed by private companies. Uh, and uh, it shows the length that Russia is going since the start of the Russia-Ukraine war uh, to improve their cyber capabilities.
0: That's an interesting point, because like, Since the beginning, even a little before the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine war, we frequently discussed about, you know, the capabilities of Russian APT groups, uh, what their intentions might have been. And looking back, like more than one year later, we haven't seen, you know, anything as, you know, groundbreaking as we may have expected at the beginning of it. Um, but still, it is quite interesting to see the role that private companies have been playing in this conflict as part of support for for the Russian APTs. For SEU, you want to say something? <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. I was just going to add to that. Uh, it's definitely very interesting the connection that these files make between Vulcan and Sandworm. You know, Sandworm, the group that's associated with disabling Ukraine's power grid in 2015, creating election bias in the U.S. and France, deploying NotPetya. It just seems that some of these products are able to provide some level of intelligence to these groups, and these groups are using that intelligence to you know assist in the targeting of their victims.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's it's one of those things where you know private public private partnerships in cybersecurity are always, you know, lauded uh, loaded for their for their good uh, potential in helping both parties. And now we're seeing the same thing up and on Uh, on the offensive capabilities, which definitely enhance the threat posed by these groups and also sort of raises some questions over the impartiality of these uh, private companies, right? Uh, Especially with something so delicate as the Russia-Ukraine war that we're seeing right now. But yeah, in a way, it's nothing extremely surprising Uh, but still something really interesting to observe and to sort of have spotlight there to understand more what we're observing every day. Um, So I think we can move to the third uh, section of today, and that is the um, Microsoft strategy for OneNote uh, malicious attachments. So in the past few weeks uh, we've seen, uh, well, before that actually um, macros have always been used as have traditionally been used by malicious uh, threat actors Uh, to spread malware, to gain initial access and commit a lot of malicious activity. Then we've seen Microsoft taking the first steps in order to block this sort of trend uh, by blocking automatically macros and so uh, not allowing users to automatically open uh, certain malicious files that may have been passed through phishing campaigns, for example. And now we're seeing uh, Microsoft going a step forward uh, by expanding the number of uh, file extensions that fall under these automatic block. So Corey, can you please tell us more about these updates that Microsoft will roll out in the coming weeks?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So these Microsoft updates are going to specifically affect OneNote for Microsoft 365, and they're going to start rolling out sometime within the next week, depending on your update channel. Now, that update channel is kind of important because let's say you're on something like the semi-annual enterprise channel for updates, that update won't take effect until January of next year. So definitely something, if you're listening to this, you're going to want to look into a little bit further. I also wanted to add some more context on how this came to be. Like you previously mentioned, like Microsoft had disabled macros. So one of the main ways that red actors used to distribute mouse spam was through Office files, like Word, Excel. These documents would contain some kind of embedded macro in the form of a VBA file. And once executed, they would pull down a second stage payload. So in July of last year, Microsoft was proactive. They were able to disable macros by default in these office products, which made this method of distributing mouse spam less reliable. Now, the reason was because before macros were disabled, all a threat actor would have to do would get this document in front of an end user, and they would have to click that enable content bar at the top, which I'm sure we've all seen in the past. But since Microsoft has Disabled macros, they have to do additional social engineering when it comes to these attacks. And that social engineering is going to try to convince a user to go through the process of re enabling macros, which is definitely more lengthy. It has security warnings that Microsoft put in place along the way to kind of like key off to end users that, hey, something might not be quite right. And as we've seen, the digression in this is because users are kind of picking up that hey something's not quite right let me reach out and tell someone or let me like look into this further i have some stats here uh, from proofpoint so macro usage decreased 66 percent from october of 2021 through june of 2022 now we already know that threat actors are keeping up with the news they're being proactive when it comes to changing their tactics and this is what led away from going away from that word in Excel into embedding malicious files into OneNote documents? So, OneNote doesn't have built in macro support, which is why that Microsoft policy change from 2022 didn't cover this attack vector. It seems like we're always kind of playing some sort of cat and mouse game when it comes to these threat actors, and especially when they make the first move that gets what's called a first mover advantage. Now, this means that a new technique is used there's going to be some kind of initial period where they can abuse that technique with some level of impunity so this is that initial dwell period coming to an end because this update will allow everyone that didn't take those proactive hardening steps in the past to also be protected
0: what i what i really like about this is that you know one of the main enemies of security is making security difficult for users you know for people that do not work in the same industry as we do and so don't want to you know spend a huge amount of time uh, you know updating the applications or their systems or checking all the boxes because that's not their job they may not be interested in doing it so they would just skip it uh, but what i really like about this This sort of approach that Microsoft is taking is that it's making security easy and automatic for users that then have to go through, you know, a lengthy process to disable all those security controls and allow, you know, threat actors to gain access to their machine or to infect their machine in a way. So it's it's really taking, you know, the right approach, I think in order to simplify security as much as possible for the end user and complicate uh, the job to threat actors as much as possible. So I think it's a really good uh, approach, in my opinion. Um, and you mentioned that this sort of mass payment campaign were really popular, that right now they're sort of decreasing in number because of what we're discussing right now. Uh, but can you tell us a bit more about what kind of attacks um, might be triggered by this sort of malicious approach? And so what kind of attacks prevents the new uh, Microsoft update?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as we can imagine, this update is really going to help mitigate mail spam that's being delivered through these OneNote files. And Microsoft's doing this by blocking 120 different file types from being able to execute when they're inside a OneNote file. Uh, These 120 different file types were deemed somewhat malicious by Microsoft, which is why they chose them. They they don't seem to be arbitrary. I'm sure they did the research um, and then this is the final list that they were able to come up with. Now, for those that don't know, you're able to embed script files into OneNote documents by simply dragging and dropping that uh, file into that document. Now, this really poses a threat because if you can get that file in front of an end user, convince them to double click it, typically the delivery of that second stage malicious payload is going to start. Now, a typical attack scenario that this would mitigate would be a user receives a phishing email that contains a dot one file with an embedded script within. Once that dot one file is open, they'll see what looks to be a button with some kind of enticing text over it, like double click to view this document or double-click this file to open. Now, what's interesting is this isn't actually a button. It's going to be an image overlay and underneath are going to be several different icons that point to the same file. Now, the reason that they put several different icons that all point to the same file is rather simplistic. It's because no matter where you click on the image overlay, they want you to also be clicking an icon that's going to execute that script file underneath.
0: That's very interesting. Um, so thanks for your explanation. Also, it was very clear. So <laughs> that's really good. Um, and so I guess you've seen uh, in your experience, you've seen a lot uh, of malware being um, using, you know, this sort of mechanism to get. On the victims' uh, machines. So, can you tell us a bit more about, like, yeah, what kind of malware have you seen using this method in the past? And uh, even if I can, asking you, what do you expect to see in the future as a result of this Microsoft update?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, as I kind of alluded to earlier, it's, it's normally not going to be the actual malware that's going to be that embedded file within these OneNote documents. What is going to be embedded, though, is something known as a downloader. Mm-hmm. Now, downloaders are usually going to be in the form of an HTA, a BAT, or a VB, uh, VB script file. All those, although those are just the main file types, there can be others that perform similar functions. Now, these downloaders, their only responsibility is to reach out and retrieve some second stage uh, payload, normally mm-hmm. through the execution of some PowerShell script. Once that second stage payload is retrieved, the PowerShell script is also going to be responsible for executing that binary. Now, we've seen many different types of malware uh, that can be delivered using this method, but some of the more mo- notable ones that we've seen are those like Async Rat, Red Line Stealer, Agent Tesla, Quackbot. Form book. And to answer your second question, um, what do I kind of see the pivot from here to be? I think we still have to keep an eye on those zip files that users received where they might be uh, encrypted or password protected. You know, So for those listening in, just still keep an eye on that. It's normally going to be the execution change where you get a zip file it's password protected so these av solutions or these email gateway solutions can't uh, really look through it as detailed as they want to and once you open the zip file there's only going to be an iso you've see a user X or mounting that ISO within the ISO mount, there's going to be an HTML document that ultimately leads to some kind of HTML smuggling, which I know we've talked about several times previously on this podcast. So definitely go back and check out those episodes if you need more context.
0: Perfect. That's a good shout also to to include all podcast episodes so the listeners can go and check them out if they haven't already. Um, so I think that's all for today. Before leaving, I just wanted to do a shout out because there's a new blog on the Relayer Quest uh, website. It's called Top Reads, and it's for March 2023, where Chris Fergal and Piper describe some of the main um, stories that they found interesting in the past month. So definitely go and check that out. And and yeah, that's all for me. Uh, Ivan, Corey, thank you very, very much for, your, for being here, for your really good explanations, really clear as well. I've learned a lot too, so that's always good. And yeah, for those of you that we going to have like a longer Easter weekend, enjoy that. And yeah, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.